Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. I do want to mention this morning that um, the video that, that we shared with Dalton, um, my, my hope and, and I guess my, my ask is that whether you are able to be here this Friday and Saturday or Saturday or you're able to join us on the live stream of the film or if you're able, if not one of those, but I implore you, I, I encourage you to watch this film, Sheep Among Wolves. It is, it is, I believe, a building block that God has given to us for what he's calling us to and what he's always called us to, but something that is just incredibly boldly uh, in front of us. Um, to hear what God is doing through those he has redeemed in Iran, in a country that is, if you look at any of the news, is one of the greatest threats to global flourishing, yet God is doing an incredible work in planting his church in the midst, in the belly of a beast. But that's exactly how God works. And we need to not only hear the story of what God is doing, but we need to learn from what God is doing because I think if you put up the perseverance of the Eastern Church against the perseverance of the Western Church, the Western Church would be an infant. And so I think we need to be exposed to that and be confronted by that because there is something about what God is doing in the midst of a people who are persecuted beyond what we could imagine. Um, and this morning, we, our text is, oddly enough, uh, a moment of persecution and abuse toward Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Mark chapter 14. Uh, we'll begin in verse 43. Um, but I want to kind of introduce this by way of this. Uh, every, everyone has probably had some experience with this, but um, for those who are maybe currently in college, uh, we're, you know, we, we, we are, maybe some are, are coming up at that point of, of midterm exams. Um, and uh, those, you know, I, I'm really not a fan of, of tests, but uh, a midterm exam is, is an exam given near the middle of an academic grading term. Uh, and and the, the, I think the hope is that it would provide an accurate representation of how a student is doing in their classes. But the thing is, success or failure in a midterm is, 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 does not necessarily determine the final grade. There's still hope, even if you bomb your midterm. When I was in college, I, uh, freshman in college, I uh, had, a, had a business course. Uh, it was marketing. And I really wasn't into it, and I wasn't excited about it, and I had to pay for my books, and, and, and I decided, you know what, the marketing book is really expensive, and it just doesn't seem to be worth the cost. And so I thought to myself, as an incredibly intelligent freshman college student, that, 
you know, when, when the time comes around for the test, I will just borrow someone's book and I'll prepare for the test that way. Time came for the exam, which um, the, the marketing professor at the school that I went to um, was a former drill instructor from the Army. And um, he, he decided, even though it was like a 10 o'clock class, he decided anytime we had exams, we would meet at 6.30 in the morning. We had to dress up as well. Um, and uh, we had to be there at 6.30 to take our exams, which I, I thought was persecution. Um, and, 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 and so we had to show up, and that was the way we did it. Well, going into the first exam, I thought, okay, I need to, you know, borrow a book. Not thinking through this well, that if there's a test coming up for all of those others in my class, whose book am I going to borrow? And so there's no one that I could borrow a book from because they were all using their books to study for the exam. And, and uh, I didn't do real well in that class um, because I didn't buy the book. And, and, it, and it was interesting because, you know, when it came to the midterm, I um, wasn't doing real well, so I had to do a lot of work on the end and, and, and had to figure out how to, how to work through that. But the good news is that just because I did really poorly on the midterm, it didn't mean that that determined how I would finish the class. And I did make it through and, and, and finish the class with a decent grade. Jesus here in, in Mark 14 has taught the disciples all they need to know, and they are about to experience a midterm. This isn't the end of what the disciples are called to, but it is a, it is a checkpoint where, where Jesus is about to launch them fully into his mission and his ministry. And this is a moment where they get to find out kind of where they are. You see, here's the interesting thing. The disciples knew, they, they, they know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus must do because he's told them over and over. And they know that they are part of his kingdom moving forward. The problem is that knowing truth doesn't always result in living truth, does it? Just because we know the truth doesn't mean we actually live it out. We can know true things, but we don't actually always do things that correlate with those true things. And so here in Mark 14, we see this moment, this almost midterm for the disciples and we see a group of people who know truth because Jesus has told them, yet we also see a group, some people who maybe don't live that truth out that they know. And so starting in verse 43, we catch up. And, and last week, as Kyle preached, um, went through the upper room and, 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 the, and the disciples sharing Jesus, modeling the first communion with his disciples. And then, and then Jesus taking the disciples to the garden and, and asking the disciples to come with him and pray with him, but they couldn't because they, were, they kept falling asleep. In this moment of, of incredible intensity, they kept falling asleep. And, and the last thing that, 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 that Jesus, that we saw last week was in verse 42 of, of Mark 14, where Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And it says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests 
and the scribes and the elders. This is, this is not just a mob of people. It was just not a crowd, a, a random crowd, but it was a sanctioned arrest party put together by the chief priests and the Sadducees and the scribes and the elders. And then it says, it says, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to, to him at once and said, Rabbi, and then Judas kissed Jesus. And again, that, that, was, that was a common greeting between a student and his rabbi in the day. That was like a handshake. I mean, this would be very similar to saying, hey, the person I walk up to and shake hands with is the person you're, you, you want. And so Judas comes up to him and, and, and kisses Jesus. And in verse 46, it says, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It's interesting that, that this, this is shared by all four gospels. All four gospels talk about what I call ear gate, um, where you have this person who this 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 person who was there and and in one of the gospels it says it was Peter who drew his sword and 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 I don't know if he swung wildly or or he just swung whoever was closest but he swung a sword and cut off the ear of of of, of one of the servants of the temple and 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 then and then we keep reading and it and it says in 48 it says and Jesus said to them have you come out against against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. We remember that, that as we've been talking through Mark, that Jesus has made his home base of teaching the, the, the court of the Gentiles, the temple. I mean, he had to do some rearranging first before he made it his his, his kind of base, but he was preaching and teaching from the court of the Gentiles every day, day in and day out. And, and these very people who've come to arrest him were there present every day. They had their chance to arrest him and take him into custody every single day in Jerusalem that week. Yet they didn't, and they came to him under the dark of night with an organized mob of people to take him into custody without anyone else knowing. And so Jesus says, you come to me like I'm some kind of robber who, who you think is going to defend himself because Jesus made it very clear that he was not in a, in a position that he was going to defend himself. And, and so Jesus says, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me but let the scripture be fulfilled, and they all left him and fled. And it's interesting that, that here comes this, this group of people to arrest Jesus. They grab Jesus, and it says in verse 50, just a few words long, and it says, and they all left him and fled, talking about the disciples and the people who were with Jesus in that moment. It's just really a factual statement in verse 50. It's, it's not necessarily a blame statement, 
But they knew at that moment that Jesus had no intention to flee, and they ran away because there was nothing left to do. The guards weren't there to arrest them, yet maybe lingering in that situation might be a poor choice for them. And so they leave. And so this this factual statement in verse 50 that Jesus was alone. And then then the next couple verses, Mark includes this. He says, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So it's kind of a weird thing to throw out there. But, but tradition tells us that, that this was likely Mark inserting himself in the, in the story, his presence there, and that, that he, he was the one who was there kind of as, as a casual follower of Jesus in the, at that moment, perhaps. And he was there at, 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 in the garden and, and that he was kind of grabbed because, again, when you've got a, a group of people to go after a person, you've got to watch out for his followers, and, and so you want to make sure his followers do what you want them to do. And so, so this, it says this young man was grabbed, and he ran away, and his linen cloth got taken away, and he ran away naked. Again, I, I think this, this, this visual of Jesus was completely alone and undefended in that moment. And so what what we see here is, which is an interesting contrast to what we see and what we know. Jesus, while physically the victim and the captive, gives the impression of being in a deeper sense in charge of the situation. Jesus, while he is actually the one who's being put in chains and led away, physically the captive, the victim... The way he's acting and behaving in this moment says something in a deeper way that he's not actually a victim of anything, but he is actually in charge of the whole situation. You see, in this moment, while we see Judas and we see the betrayal of Judas, Jesus, not Judas, is the center of the stage. And it's interesting that in Mark's gospel, he doesn't mention Judas again for the rest of the story of Jesus. Because Judas was simply there to play a role in the, in the kingdom of God and its coming and growing and infecting everything that it touches. And so then in verse 53, in 53 we, we continue on and it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and and, and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So so what we see in these couple verses, what we'll see is is beginning here, there's a little bit of of a back and forth between what's happening with Jesus and what's happening with Peter. Jesus is arrested and taken to the high priest's house, and he's taken to probably a formal room where they gather, and Peter follows Jesus from a distance, 
and comes into maybe a, a, a lower a lower court, a place where maybe it was an outdoor court area where there's a bonfire to keep people warm and, and Peter's down there, maybe within a view of, of, of maybe not being able to hear what's happening in, in the house, but, but having a view of maybe what's going on there. And so there's this contrast that we see in the passage between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus, in the face of the questioning of the, of the accusers and, and of the, the, the chief priests, Jesus stands firm. But Peter, in the midst of a servant girl and some random people around the fire, crumbles. Jesus, standing before the religious leaders with very high stakes, goes willingly to his death. Peter, at that same moment, escapes death. Jesus, as he interacts with those religious leaders, he witnesses and his mission remains intact. His integrity is held and his witness is not damaged Yet Peter loses any integrity he has as a disciple in that same moment. And so we see this contrast between Jesus and Peter. Jesus in the face of very real threatening, uh, threatening moment. Peter in a maybe kind of a higher tension area, but, but there's no real threat to his life in that moment. Yet Jesus behaves very differently than Peter. And Peter seems to, in that moment, completely fail the midterm exam. So both Jesus and Peter are under pressure. And so why, why, would, why, would, why would Mark go back and forth between this and, and tell us in these two verses that, that Jesus was here, Peter was there, and then tells us what Jesus did and what Peter did. I think it's, it's, it, the point maybe is to assess our own faithfulness and, and to help us build up our strength for, for witness in a potentially hostile world. That this is what we'll face as well. Not just Jesus, not just Peter. And there are some different ways that we can face those things. We can face them like Jesus faced them, or we can face them like Peter faced them. And chances are good that you and I will numerous, on numerous occasions face them like Peter faced them. But I think that Mark gives us this contrast to help us evaluate our faithfulness to Jesus and to, for us to recognize that we need to, to build up strength. We need to study and we need to grow so that we can act more like Jesus in those moments than like Peter. This is the midterm exam of Peter's life with Christ. The final exam isn't till later, but this kind of gives Peter an idea of where he is. So then in, in verse 55, we, we go back to Jesus and it says, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Notice they've reached their verdict before they even had questioning. <laughs> and it's, I realize that's totally foreign to us because we don't do that. 
We don't have opinions and decisions before we see evidence because we like to really make sure we know we're accurate um, and so we don't buy into stuff just because we agree with it or we like it. <laughs> and, and, and so it says, now the chief priests were seeking testimony. They were looking for those whose opinion would agree with what they felt and would result in the outcome that they were looking for. Again, totally foreign to us. And so it says in verse 56, it says, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another one not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And so the, 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 the chief priests and, and, the, and the priests and the elders and the scribes, they did the same thing that we do when we have a strong opinion and feeling about something, and now the, the witnesses aren't exactly working to our favor. We say, okay, well, maybe I should, should think a different route. No, we say, no, I'm going to hold on to what I think. I'm just going to find another way to fix it. <laughs> And so, and so instead of recognizing that, it says, it says in verse 60, and then the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, because the high priest is done with these other people and, and he's got to take control because, you know, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. And so he stands up and he says to Jesus, he says, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And now Jesus responds. Right here, in this moment, as Jesus responds to these charges that are being brought against him, two basic charges. One was that he was being accused of threatening to destroy the temple Two, that he made messianic claims about himself. And so the witnesses were confusing and chaotic about the whole temple threat. So the high priest moves to the messianic claims and he says, are you the Christ? And here in this moment, this is what we would call the Christological climax of Mark. The moment that Jesus says very clearly to all those in his hearing who he is. And he says, he says here in in verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. And not only does he say I am, which is in in the structure and way he says that, it is a claim of divinity But he adds to that and he says, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And this statement drew a visceral reaction out of the high priest. And it says, and the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard blasphemy What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some, not only was a verdict reached and they all condemned him as deserving of death, but then it says, and some began to spit on him 
and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophecy. And the guards received him with blows. Notice that the guards received him with blows. It wasn't the guards that were acting like like bully children. It was the very religious leaders of the Jewish faith. They were the ones who were spitting at Jesus. They were the ones who were putting something over his face and hitting him. That's pretty solid behavior on the part of your pastor, right? Because I'm really upset about what someone said, super offended by it. Take a sheet, throw it over their head and hit them. I don't know. I mean, that's one school of thought. <laughs> but, but it's interesting. Jesus responds and it has this, incre- I mean, this ridiculous, chaotic reaction. Jesus, Jesus uh, on, in, here in this moment on the narrative level that Mark's telling, Jesus is overpowered and he can't save himself. That's what we see. But at the theological level, Jesus in this moment reigns supreme, even though it looks like he's losing. And that's where things that we see don't always reflect things as they really are. We of all people have to remember that. And, 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 so, and so Jesus responds and says, I am. And he says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the, at, the, at, the, at the hand of power and coming in the clouds. He, he pulls two Old Testament references. When he says, you will see the Son of Man and, and seated at the, the, the seat of power, it, that's from Psalm 110, verse 1. And then when it says, you, he will be coming in the clouds... That's from Daniel 7.13. And both of those passages convey the sovereign authority of the Messiah. A universal and unending dominion is what that communicates. Something, a rule of, of, of an authority that will never end and is universal. It has no boundaries. And this universal and unending dominion Jesus now in the, in, the, in the face of the high priest, he declares himself as the receiver of that unending dominion. And he says that you will see this. You know what they'll see? You know what the high priest will see shortly thereafter? He will hear that 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 man that they had crucified and laid in a tomb is no longer there. They will hear that that man has raised from the dead. They will then hear accounts unlike the witness accounts at the trial that were a mess. They'll hear accounts that, that actually agree with each other that Jesus not only raised from the dead, but later he ascended into the clouds. And then as, as their world crumbles, they will see the growth of the New Testament church as they watch and experience the demise of Jerusalem and their precious temple. 
And so in this moment, any concept of a Messiah as a nationalistic deliverer at a political level has been left far behind. You see, Jesus' triumph is to be at the right hand of God over all creation, bar none. Because again, the Jews and even some of the disciples kept thinking that Jesus was going to be a political, that the Messiah would, would be both political and national and fix all of those things. They had a narrow scope of, of what the Messiah came to do. And, and, and so we see what happens to Jesus, and then we switch again in verse 66 over to Peter. In verse 66, it says this, and as Peter was below in the, in the courtyard, like if, we, if this was a TV show, we would get to the place where Jesus is being handed over to the guards after he's being beaten, and then it would say, 10 minutes earlier in the court below. And so Peter's there at the same time frame. It says, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are also with the Nazarene Jesus. This is a girl, who, a girl who's a servant of the high priest. She has very little to no standing at all. And she sees Peter and she says, aren't you, you were with the Nazarene Jesus. And, and Peter in verse 68, it says, but he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And, and then the servant girl saw him and began again to say, now in the, in the hearing of some bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little, because this girl had, had piqued the interest of the bystanders around Peter, they start to think and think, yeah, that guy does look familiar. He does look like maybe a Galilean. And, and so then it says, after a little while, the bystanders, they started processing and thinking, again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. He, he basically does this. He says, may God do whatever to me if I know this man. That's what, that's what scripture means when it says that he called down curses on himself. May God deal ever so severely with me if I've ever met that guy before in my life. I swear I don't know him. Like that's the degree that Peter is saying there's no connection between me and Jesus. And then it says, and immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster, rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. 
It's like the scene fades to black. And you've got the contrast of Jesus and you've got Peter. And, and so here in this moment, you've got Jesus being taken off to his death. And you've got Peter now running away after realizing that what Jesus said about him, when he said to Jesus, no, Jesus, I will stand with you to the death. And then it wasn't even to the death. It was a young girl said, I think you look familiar. And a group of bystanders who had no power over him said, aren't you a Galilean who was with Jesus? And Peter denies that he even knows who Jesus is. And then Peter remembers what Jesus said to him that he was so offended by. And it says he wept. See, Jesus defined discipleship this way. Discipleship is the process of denying myself and taking up my cross while continuing to follow Jesus. What an interesting picture that definition of discipleship gives in contrast to what we just read. You see, this definition of denying myself, taking up my cross while following Jesus doesn't play well or connect well in our culture, does it? We don't self-deny. We, we might self-loathe. We might self-absorb. We might self-promote. We often self-defend, but we, we most certainly do not self-deny. And when we do, the things that we tend to deny ourselves from are pretty pitiful things. And, and, so, and so this definition that Jesus gives doesn't work in, in our culture, in our society. Yet in this, in this narrative, Jesus literally denies himself moments prior to that. He says in the garden, God, not my will, but your will be done, denying himself, and he moves toward the cross as the definitive example of what discipleship looks like. And then we have Peter who literally denies Jesus in favor of himself, which is interesting because wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier if Jesus defined discipleship as, hey, deny me in favor of you? <laughs> we can all do that, can't we? Like we would be awesome at that. We would all get A's on our midterm. <laughs> but Peter literally denies Jesus in favor of himself. I don't know this man in order to avoid carrying any such cross. Like how many levels of discipleship did Peter fail on in this moment? <laughs> well, let's see. There's deny yourself. Got that one wrong. Uh, take up your cross. Got that one wrong while following Jesus. I mean, I guess he could run away and take the long way back, but, 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 but he fails on all levels of discipleship. And here's the bad news about us. We are naturals at den denying Jesus. 
And just in some of the ways we do this, and here's the thing, we, we tend to think of denying Jesus in this really overt, obvious way that, that like how Peter said, I don't know who Jesus is. Like someone comes up to you in the grocery store and says, hey, do you go to church? I don't go to church. I don't know what church is. <laughs> I mean, that's, I guess that's one way we could deny Jesus. But, but, but really, we deny Jesus in so many ways. We, we tend to make much of what he virtually ignored, and we make little of what he commanded. It's when we disregard his words in favor of our own words, another form of not self-denying. It, it's interesting. If you were to answer, think about this question for a second, and, and maybe even wrestle with this this week. Make the list. What belongs on the list of what we must get right? What belongs on that list? I actually think that we focus on a lot of things that don't belong on the list of things we must get right, and we fail to recognize the things that we have to get right. This last week, couple weeks, the big news in, in, in Christianity is that Beth Moore left the Southern Baptist Church over a huge thing about whether or not uh, she should preach. It's interesting how much effort goes into that. When Paul makes a statement, when he, it's being reported to him, that there are people preaching Jesus for personal gain, which is definitively a sin, right? And how does Paul respond to that? As long as the gospel is preached and the name of Jesus goes out. I haven't heard the intensity of, of passion and debate about people going to hell as I have about whether Beth Moore should be preaching. And when I stand before Jesus, I don't think he's going to ask me, did I get it right about whether or not a woman should preach the gospel? I think Jesus is going to say to me, when that guy at the gas station in Arizona pulled up and asked you, hey, I lost my credit card and I'm in trouble. I need gas to get to where I'm going. And I said, sure, and I gave him gas. And I didn't say a thing about Jesus. And I failed. Because I was too busy. I bet Beth Moore would have said something. I'm not a lot different than Peter. We deny Jesus when, we, when what we do doesn't match with what Jesus said, when our lives don't reflect what Jesus actually preached. When we refuse to recognize the part, of the, the part that the cross plays in our transformation. Jesus says the cross plays a huge part in us becoming like Jesus, but we have such a hard time 
suffering for Jesus. See, following Jesus is the hardest thing we're ever going to do. It is the hardest thing. We can talk about how the disciples failed, and we can talk about how the religious leaders were terrible, but it is hard to follow Jesus. See, accepting Jesus as Savior, delivering me from my sin, and paying the cost of, of my sin that my sin demands, that's relatively easy. But you know what's really hard? Living my loyalty to Jesus as king is an entirely different animal. We are all about Jesus as Savior, but I, I, I'm telling you, it is, we're not about Jesus as king. We live in a democratic republic where technically people hold the power, but we elect representatives to exercise our power. And here's the thing, we don't have to declare allegiance to any government official. We get to vote them out if there's enough of us, but a king is a supreme ruler and his rule is until death. He is not elected and his will and decree is binding regardless of popularity or preference. We say Jesus is king, but do we even know what that means? Do we even get it? And if we do, do we live this out? That is hard. That is so difficult. But here's what I want to end with. There is great news in this passage for those of us who may have failed our midterms. You see, Mark's gospel is overwhelmingly agreed that Peter was the primary human source. When we study the Bible, there's something called the author's intended meeting, the aim. What the author intended for us to understand. I think Mark and Peter under the direction of the Holy Spirit, wanted you and I to see something, and that's why you see this. You see Judas and you see Peter in this passage together. Judas, what he did was terminal. What Peter did was temporary. What Judas did, he, he settled, it was a settled disloyalty. Yet Peter's response was deep remorse. Judas made a deliberate change in allegiance, Peter failed under pressure. You see, this is the last time in, in, in Mark's gospel that we will see Peter or Judas, but there is one difference between the two. Peter is singled out for specific mention in the message of hope from the young man dressed in white at the tomb. Because that young man, that angel at the tomb, says to the women who show up there, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is risen and he will meet them where he said he would. I believe one of the most significant things we can walk away with from Peter's experience today is this. No matter how deep your denial or how badly you failed the midterm, Jesus, your Savior King, offers you forgiveness and restoration. 
if you are willing to humble yourself and surrender to him. That's what we need to know this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, there's so many ways that we struggle with following you. God, it's so easy to get caught up in the things around us and our own busyness and our own desires. Father, I pray this morning that, that those who are hearing this, who are struggling, God, maybe they feel like failures because they have done so poorly. Father, I pray that they would hear and understand and feel the incredible love that you have for them, God, the forgiveness and the restoration. God, I pray for those who may have been offended this morning by something I said. I pray that you would redeem that and use it for your kingdom. That, God, we would recognize what's important and that we would obey all the things that you have commanded us to do. For the glory of your kingdom, and for the salvation of the lost. That we would prioritize what you prioritized. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.